Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yorika Talbo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur and artist to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to subscribe, like, and share it with a friend. Today, it is my pleasure to sit down with Amy Carl, artist, futurist, bio-artist, bioethicist. You've got a lot of a lot of uh, extras on there. Amy, hello. Welcome to the show. It is Hi. an absolute pleasure. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I see you read my Wikipedia page. I did. I <laughs> <laughs> Usually I go by artist, but um... I've, I thought as much, but I was like, there's just so many cool ad- additions on your Wikipedia page. I had to just bring them up. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I actually, all my work does fall under those categories. They are legit. Yeah. I, I assumed as much. Do you control your own Wikipedia page? No, you can't. Um, unfortunately, you can't edit. If there's an error, even it's really hard to get that removed. But oh, sure. Um, Wikipedia. I learned about it once I saw that there was a Wikipedia page on me. You can yeah. donate photos to it, but that's about the extent of it. Ah, okay. So it's basically a, a collective collection of your admirers, fans. No, it's Wikipedia. Um, Wikipedia oh. has a network of volunteers that. Uh, that build Wikipedia pages. And I learned that my Wikipedia page was built through uh, a Wikipedia-a-thon of sorts. I think it was in Ireland, uh, where they were trying to make sure more women were represented on Wikipedia as part of this Women in Red project. And since I was one of the BBC 100 women, um, that was one of the notability standards that put me on the list. So to be on Wikipedia, you have to have achieved a certain amount of notability. They have all these different credentials for meeting that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I've, le- I've learned a lot about Wikipedia. It's a pretty cool organization. It's uh, all volunteers or almost all volunteers, but yeah, you can't influence or have anything to do with your own page unless you can contribute some images, which in itself is yeah. a big process. Excellent. I, I didn't know all those. That's that's awesome. Well, con- again, and, and double congratulations. And that's, that's fantastic. Oh, <laughs> so how are things where you're at right now? So I'm in San Francisco. Um, I feel very fortunate. We're, you know, a year into the COVID-19 pandemic here. And a lot of things are still shut down. My six-year-old son just returned to school two weeks ago in person. He's part of public school here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of changes. Businesses are still, a lot of businesses are at reduced capacity, if not completely closed. I feel fortunate to be able to work from home. This is my home studio here. Um, and I feel fortunate that myself and my family have been healthy through all of this and we're in a good position that we haven't been um, too impacted by the pandemic. So we're very fortunate in that way. Not everybody is so um, so lucky. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and as far as my artwork goes, I already had some shows planned ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I welcomed my second child at the beginning of March, right at the beginning, actually the middle of March, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so I had shows lined up for this year that I wouldn't be traveling to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the museums are still open overseas, but just at a very much reduced capacity. So I was able to send my artwork this year. So business has been moving along, um, but now I'm switching what I'm doing since I am working from home a lot more. Yeah, okay, good. 
So for the, my audience who is less familiar with your career and work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Uh, I identify as an artist. I feel like the language that I communicate through the best is art. That's the way that I can uh, just, I feel like tell a story in one instant to people mm -hmm. about all my thoughts, all my emotions, both personally and globally. Well, I, I study what it means to be human and what it means to be alive, especially at this time of humans and technology coming together. And when we look at how much we use our phone in one day, we can see how we're merging with technology. But I go really far into it. Um, I specifically like to look at healthcare mm -hmm. and the biological aspect um, as well of things like genetic modifications, bioprinting, um, things that as we start to change our body, who do we become because of it? So I look at from a whole range of things from like, think about a pacemaker. When we see somebody with a pacemaker in front of us, we don't see somebody who looks like a cyborg. We see somebody whose life has been saved. And I like to consider medical futuring in that way. But I'm also aware that oftentimes our technologies have potential negative impacts on us. We often don't see that until we're kind of further along down the road. So I try to bring those potentials and like dangers, pitfalls, as well as some of the promises to the forefront at the beginning while I'm thinking about making a piece of artwork. And then I actually use those technologies in question while I'm making the work like bioprinting. Uh, so, I'm, so I'm working through the process that can hopefully have a positive impact by encouraging people to think about the range of how our technology could impact us both positive and negative. Wonderful, I love that. That's, I love that. So I, I want to start a little bit from the beginning. Mm -hmm. What initially got you interested in being an artist or studying art in general? So what initially got me interested in being an artist was, again, I felt like I communicate, I feel like I communicate the best through visually creating something and sharing that with other people. Mm -hmm. That's the language I feel like I speak the best. But I didn't originally go to school to be an artist. Um, I didn't really realize that was my calling. I knew that's the way that I express myself the best, mm -hmm. but I didn't know that's what I wanted to study. So I originally actually went to school to be a genetic engineer and a topologist. And then I realized that my motivations in that was making like a thousand mutant Amy's. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, probably, that was probably better addressed as like an art and design problem as a philosophy problem. Mm -hmm. So then I switched to art and design and philosophy. Yeah. My philosophy degree is in relativism, but I really practice bioethics the most. Okay. So was it during, I guess, I guess this transition in, in school where then you started studying the, let's say that like the techniques of various mm -hmm. art forms at that time, or did that come after you left school? Well, all growing up, I was always in art classes and, you know, okay. in elementary school, middle school, high school, I was always interested in it. I was always um, engaged in art and creating art. Uh, and my teachers really recognized far before me, my potential and that that was my career path before I think I was willing to say like, hey, yeah, I'm gonna go to school to be an artist. And I think that's because both my parents were in the science field. Uh, and so, you know, we tend to kind of go with what we know and what mm -hmm. we see. Um, so that's kind of where I started to lean into, but I, yeah, I quickly realized very early on that this is what I was meant to do. Okay, good. So let's, let's, I guess, talk about your post-collegiate career. So mm -hmm. how, so you, you, you know, decided to become 
let's say artists and and focus on these different mediums so how actually how did your focus in different subjects and mediums evolve post college and and how how did your career start evolving post college well i think uh, I'm, i'll talk about this in two ways i'll talk about my train of thought and aesthetically and conceptually what i practice is my overarching theme as an artist. And then I'll talk about also the career as the business of art too. Perfect. So my overarching theme for what I study, what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, started from a very young age. Like when I first started drawing, I was drawing pictures of the human body and trying to explore some of like our, our life systems, kind of I find early anatomy drawings from when I was five, six years old. So I was always interested in this biological aspect of what it means to be human. Um, I was also born with a life-threatening birth defect. And this really defined me as well for understanding and wanting to always heal the body. You know, I just wanted the next surgery that would work like other children. Mm -hmm. So I was interested in medical futuring from a young age, but I was also I had this understanding of the human condition because of the body. And I feel like this is really where the art comes into play, where I can express the emotional aspect of what that feels even though this is a personal experience, it's more of a universal truth of experiences that a lot of people go through when they're suffering or have illness uh, or death. So, so these are some of the questions that have been present with me about what it means to be alive and what it means to be human for a long time. Um, as I grew, I started to use more technology in my work and that has now evolved to where I am today of really getting into this niche of um, how technology influences who we are as humans and influences what it means to be alive, both in a material sense, a physical sense, and more of this like esoteric or a spiritual sense as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. And then, so let's then talk about your, your the, the business side of your art. How did that evolve post-graduation? <laughs> so when I graduated, I thought I had to get like a regular job because I didn't know what it looked like to be an artist. Um, and at that time, I graduated in 2002. And yeah, there was the internet, but it was harder to reach out to people. Uh, I didn't really feel like I had many mentors, um, even though whenever I found somebody that was a professional working artist, I like I hung on to them with all my might and I asked them a lot of questions. There wasn't the access to just be able to like email somebody, find them and email them. Um, and art in general is a harder business to find out like public businesses you could research you can see what their business plan is but art is a, is a tougher business to establish so I thought I had to work for somebody else so I did a stint in the fashion industry luxury goods industry I did a stint as a designer in the auto industry and then I was laid off when it was the bailout when the bailouts occurred and so I thought you know what this is my time I'm going to either I was kind of working as an artist doing projects throughout that and I always felt like I was using my creative energy towards somebody else's business. It wasn't towards my full potential of how I felt like I could make a positive impact. So I felt like, you know what, this is the time that I have to do that. And that's in 2007. That was when I established my business and I've been working as a full-time professional artist ever since. So given the early instances where you were reaching out to artists and understanding about the business side of the art world, how have you evolved your business model and where did you learn about the business side of the art world? So my uh, knowledge of the business side of art world has all been through practice, making a business plan and then trial and error, using advisors, using people who have achieved success in the industry. 
Um, I have this really strong philosophy that you only ask people for advice that have what you want. So like in a relationship, I wouldn't ask somebody that was like divorced or single for relationship advice. I'd, I'd ask somebody who has a long-standing happy relationship and it's the same for business. Mm -hmm. So you really have to be careful who you listen to. So I um, have been fortunate to find people who are successful in the business and take their advice. If they said, hey, speak about your work, I'd start speaking about my work. Um, so my business model is uh, primarily I show in museums. I, uh, I do collaborations with companies to make my artwork. I sell to collectors. And, um, and then there's some other smaller incomes as well, like from speaking engagements, from resale, like rights of images, right. things like that. Okay. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm particularly excited about all the, like the, the breadth and depth of all the work that you've done. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. What, if you had to pick one area that you have, are excited the most in, in these different areas, do you have one? Is there one that you're like, this is exactly what, if I could just do this one thing a lot more, I would love doing just this one thing. Well, I feel, uh, do you mean as far as the, the business practice of how I? Yeah, the, the interactions that you're doing or yeah, or the, the types of, of work that you're putting out there in these different instances. So for the, for the type of work that I'm putting out there, I'm really happy with what I wanna, I'm doing and I wanna keep going forward with it. So exploring different kinds of exponential technologies, some that I'm familiar with, yeah. like 3D printing, bioprinting, AI, machine learning, um, and then expanding into newer realms as well. Like I always love the challenge. The harder the project is, the more I want to do it. And in general too, like when I hear no, that makes me want to like push a little bit harder and lean into it more. Yeah. So, um, so I want to keep working with this kind of futuring on the cusp of like our technology and how that can influence who we are as humans, both individually and as a large scale and making artwork about that. That's what I'm working on now. That's what I foresee working on for, um, yeah, for quite for quite a while. I really enjoy working with museums and showing in museums because the work can then reach a larger audience. It's really fulfilling when I feel like I can make a positive impact with my work mm -hmm. and uh, make a space for people to ask some of the same questions that I'm asking about how technology can impact us and ideally make a positive change in their life because of it or in their work because of it. I'd, I'd also like to, um, now I'm actually expanding into more production mm -hmm. because I wanna reach a larger audience with my work and that's one way to do it too. For a while I was more focused on uh, more research-based work, but I am really good as a production artist. So now I think it's time to switch gears a little bit, produce some more for a while, build the business. There is a sustainability aspect of course to that as well um, of the business plan and building the business. Yeah, sure. So I'd like you to talk a bit more about, let's say, two aspects of your work so far. The one, the collaboration and work with museums, and then mm -hmm. collaboration work with larger corporations. So let's do the museums first. How did you first start showing your work in museums, and what was that process like? So I first started showing work in museums um, by invitation, and it's still by invitation. I'm trying to think if there's anything... I don't think there's anything that I've applied for to be able to show in museums. Okay. Um, but this kind of goes to also my collaborations mm -hmm. with, um, with others. And, and then I'll kind of wrap into more of the museums. Sure, so sure. the way that I make my work, um, some of my work is very expensive to create, especially when you're using 3D printing, bioprinting, stem cells. I need access to a whole lab. 
Um, I am fortunate to have a home studio now during COVID-19, but I, I usually need other people's equipment and resources. Uh, so it's a, so how, so the idea of partnership is finding an ideal partner or collaboration where you can together achieve some goals. So I work with technology companies a lot because say I wanna make a project that explores bioprinting or machine learning or 3D printing and they have those tools. So as an artist, uh, I can show what their tools are capable of or potentials of their tools by using them. And I show that not only to an audience that sees my artwork, but I also show that internally to the company. Sometimes they don't know what they could do. Um, and my best case scenario is when they say, you can come in here and break something. Don't be afraid to, to break this machine to like push it to its limit. Mm -hmm. So that like that really helps all of us to understand what the upper limitations are of the technology, of the equipment, what they could be applied towards. And then as an artist, I'm telling all of that in a visual story. So when you think about scientists and scientific research or technological research, a lot of times that's done on a very small scale. It's done in a lab and white papers are published. Maybe the scientists go to conferences, but a larger audience often doesn't learn about it. When an artist is using that technology and making something with it, it tells a visual story and reaches a much larger audience. So this is, uh, this is the benefits to collaborating with companies. And how I actually do it usually is by uh, leveraging my network. Sometimes I do reach out to companies on their own or if there's programs to apply for like artists in residence programs. So I'll say, hey, I want to make this project like the project I made that called the Heart of Evolution. Yeah. It was a recent project that I made. And I reached out to my friend that works at 3D Heels. And I asked her, you know, Jane, I want to make this project on the heart. It involves 3D printing, bioprinting, and I listed everything I wanted to do with it. I wanted a company who had resources and was in the Bay Area and she suggested uh, HP Labs and I never would have thought of them. Yeah. So, uh, so she was able to introduce me to HP Labs. So this was one of those times like it's really important to leverage your network and you know, just to be able to make that personal connection. And they sponsored that work, which was really exciting. It was really nice. It's been really nice to get to know them. They've since sponsored some subsequent works for the Smithsonian as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. What was your first collaboration like with a, a corporation and how did that happen? Remember that? Well, I think, yeah, I do. Um, okay. So I, all through college, I would call places for, <laughs> for smaller donations. I would call companies for smaller donations. Like if I was doing a performance art piece and needed some like nude costumes or something, I would call Danskin. Yeah. and ask them and, and I would write a script out. I remember clearly doing this. I would write a script because I would get so nervous about just calling the operator, switchboard operator to be able to make sure like in a clear and concise sentence, I can ask for the right person. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd usually ask for the marketing department. The same is true now. They have a lot of funding for these kinds of projects. And also if you work with the marketing department, you're not giving away your own IP in any mm -hmm. way. You may have some agreement of they can use your images, you guys can make a video together, all good things for both parties. But this is again where I have to reiterate, you have to be careful who you work with. Yeah. You don't wanna just take funding or resources from anyone. Make sure that whoever you're collaborating with, you're really comfortable with and you feel like there's a mutual shared value in the project you're trying to do. So sometimes I have collaborations where a company will give some funding, just like a, you know, a grant. Um, some will give resources like, hey, you can do all your 3D printing with us. Um, some will, will be a little bit more specific, like, hey, you always have to thank us. I always thank them anyways. I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, but then other companies are 
you're more enmeshed or I'm more enmeshed. Like I really like when I can go into a company and develop something in, in house. Like if I want to do some bioprinting, um, it's, you kind of have to be there on site and continue to grow and work together, develop materials, formulate materials. That's when things get more complex and you have to make sure that the engagement is good for all parties involved, that you're protected because a lot of things can be developed in that process. It's not just the final artwork. It's also the materials and technology. Yeah. With you, let's say, and meshing yourself with a few different corporations, I'm, I'm just curious as a side note about the, like the legal aspects of this. Do you have a lawyer that you work with? How does that, like when you're writing these contracts, because I come from that side of it right now at a large corporation, what do you, how do you approach those contracts? Well, usually the corporations will give you a contract. <laughs> okay. Those are the ones you definitely have to have a lawyer for. So I personally yeah. use California Lawyers for the Arts. Okay. I really like their group and you know, I, could, I can recommend them to you for other artists. Um, they even have some free services for artists as well. Um, but yeah, always have somebody review your contract. I know way too many artists that just sign it because they're so excited to get involved and don't actually even read it because some of the contracts are this thick, literally. Oh, yeah. um, and it's a difficult position because what are you going to do? You're an individual artist and here's a big corporation. But the idea is less about the actual contract itself and more about the understanding going into it of how you're going to work together, what you want to achieve together and how there's room for that to grow. Yeah, wonderful. I'm, so I'm also curious on, because you touch in so diff many different areas, how do you, where do you get inspiration from and how do you choose what you're going to do next? That's a really good question. Um, I don't always know where I get inspiration from. <laughs> I think that the easiest thing to say is to always work. Okay. Like just keep working because I don't wake up every day and feel inspired. But if I wake up every day and work, I get inspired in the process. So I always encourage other artists, keep working, just keep working every day and something will come. Sometimes you need to take a break from work and that's good too. That's important to know too. Um, but sometimes I have to ask myself, what will I make? So just recently I felt like I'm making a little bit of a career transition in terms of I'm ready to do embark on a next big project. Uh, I'm, I think I'm going to start up a different kind of studio here in San Francisco, a larger studio, do some more production work. And I was saying, well, what do I want to make? And I just posed that question to myself. What do I want to make? And within like two days, I had a great idea of a, it really just this whole body of work with um, bio and blockchain and genetics. And um, I had my genetic code sequence through UCSF recently, and those results came in right when I was asking the question. And so the answer has just kind of appeared for me. Yeah. And yeah, I have like, I have enough work now to keep me busy for like three years. So <laughs> asking yourself that question, instead of saying like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to make and stopping or um, having some fear, maybe changing like, what, will, what do I want to make? What do I want to do next? What can I do with what I have here? And then starting to work through the process, even if you don't know yet, is, uh, I'm sorry that I don't have a better answer for where inspiration comes from, but. <laughs> no, that's, that's <laughs> like, actually perfect. It's, it's, an, it's more about an intense focus. So if you're intensely sure. focused on one thing um, and, then, and then anything else that's coming in from the world will, will inspire that intense focus. You'll apply now to that intense focus. And that's really where innovation occurs. When you have one thing you're really focused on and then something else is applied to it mm -hmm. and something else mixes with it. Yeah. 
So with that, do you tackle multiple projects concurrently or is it only I'm focused on this thing right now and this is what I'm doing? Sometimes I tackle multiple projects concurrently, but it is best for me when I focus on one thing. Okay. Um, that being said, when I'm focusing on one thing, there's often multiple projects as part of it. Sure. So if I'm trying to 3D print um, a very complex project uh, or like bio a complex project, oftentimes I have to make several iterations. And I'm not someone who um, likes to call artwork prototypes. I actually really reject that because I feel like with all of my artworks, these are final pieces. Uh, I'm at a level of craftsmanship and like what I do with my work is very serious. I'm not just prototyping some random stuff. Some Once in a while I, I do that, but those are garbage. Right. I actually have to make sometimes a number of pieces in the process of making a big like research-based piece. So in that regard, yes, I'm often making multiple projects but it's leading towards this single focus. Okay, so that's actually, I have an interesting follow-up question on that. With your many iterations, how do you decide or when do you decide that this project is completed and you then you know, display it or, or send it off to its next life? Uh, usually a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> so it's either a self-imposed deadline or an exhibition yeah. deadline. Um, and this is, I think, part of the importance of setting deadlines and setting goals, because with artwork, sometimes you can just feel like artwork is never done. And yeah. for me, I feel like as soon as I complete a piece of artwork or, you know, kind of complete, I just want to remake the whole thing and make it over again or make it better because I've learned from that process. So yeah, having a deadline really helps me or reason to show that I'm working towards helps me to make sure that it's complete. And, um, and there's, you know, certain things in that process where you have to have different gates of saying, okay, it's complete to this point, it's complete to this point. Now I have to make it ready to show, ready to exhibit. Yeah, <laughs> I was not expecting that answer to be perfectly honest, <laughs> but that's wonderful. I <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious in, you know, in everything that you have, have been working on over these years, how do you approach this idea of fear and whether it's, you know, a, a fear of a new project or a career move or just something else, but how do you approach the idea of fear and are able to work with it, within it and past it for the projects you're working on? Well, I think this is a really important question and it's a really personal question and I'm going to just put it all out there. So I have a lot of fears around work. My mother and father both were workaholics for different reasons and passed that on to me. Mm -hmm. And workaholism is a very difficult subject because people get rewarded for it. My mother passed away when she was 46 of ovarian cancer. And she and many of us really felt like that was because she was such a workaholic. She took care of herself in every other way. And um, I mean, it was, you know, she gave more to her community and her family in 46 years than some people do in their whole life, which was amazing. But I have a lot of ingrained fears because of watching that happen. And I haven't always known how to negotiate that in my own life. I tend to overwork and have problems with workaholism myself. So that's where my fear is. But a lot of what I experience with fear has to do with establishing a regiment. It's kind of like being inspired. 
to try to establish a regiment for yourself when you work, when you do certain tasks. And that takes some of that fear and emotional aspect out of it, waiting to feel like you're inspired, waiting to feel like you're strong enough to do something. So to try to set healthy times and healthy boundaries when I could work. And then of course, sometimes that gets blown out. But as I get more mature too, I realize that um, the more I take care of myself and the more I rest, the better and more productive I am anyways. I just get so passionate about what I do and I really love it that I wanna work on it all the time to the expense of everything else. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there's a lot of fear around that. Um, there's fear about approaching, you know, if you wanna have gallery representation or in a museum or things like that are actually easier for me as terms of fear, because those are times when you feel the fear, but you kind of schedule, okay, I'm gonna do this on this day. I'm gonna get all my materials together. I'm gonna be as prepared as possible and um, you know, follow expert advice, follow the standards of how you're supposed to do that and then try it. Because if you don't try it, you don't know if you're gonna succeed or not at all. So at least if you try it, you have a, a chance of, of succeeding. Mm -hmm. And fear is also uh, one of those things too, where you really don't know how much strength you have until you try something. And that you get an affirmation from trying it if you succeed or you fail, because you're like, oh, well, wow, I tried that. It isn't as bad as I thought it was. So that's my take on fear. Yeah. So I'm curious how your work has changed during COVID and how COVID has affected it and how you're now looking at the future of 2021, 2022 and beyond of, of taking your learnings from our year of year and maybe longer of COVID into those future um, focuses you're working on. Well, again, I focus a lot on technology and its impact on humanity, including the medical aspect. Yeah. And over COVID-19, we're seeing a lot more shifts into trends that we already had, um, but that are actually very concerning for me with like telemedicine, for example. There's some benefits to telemedicine when it's part of an entire healthcare package, like for geriatric care, if uh, seniors are getting care, but then a doctor can also witness them in their home, in their home environment, that's really beneficial. But to only see a patient in that way is very dangerous. Um, likewise, you know, I, I heard a lot of doctors before the pandemic, I'd always ask them like about the use of technology and they'd all complain that they don't get to touch patients enough anymore. That they're half the time they're back to the patient on the screen inputting their information. They're having shorter, shorter times of being able to see the patient. Um, so I'm thinking about all of these technologies and how these behind the scenes technologies are used to be able to identify health in ways that we've never been able to before, like taking big data of heart scans, for example, of tens of thousands of healthy patient hearts and comparing them to a scan of an individual and using AI to be able to help deformity and disease and balancing that with the actual physical contact of being with someone that no technology can replace. And I'm really interested in this arena of limiting our knowledge and our beliefs down a path of zeros and ones, down a path of technology, homogenizing us behind screens versus all of these intelligences that we have as humans that we can express out and grow outside of the screen. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at this dynamic range. I'm also now being forced to, not, I'm, I'm not able to go into the labs and into the companies like I was before, even museums now where I'm just sending my work where I used to go in person. So I'm looking at a lot more of the work that I can do from my 
home studio more independently where I can still collaborate because I love collaborating. This is a great way to make artwork. I need to work with experts to be able to create my work, mm -hmm. but that I can do from my home, um, that I can do from a personal studio and behind a desk. So I'm starting to get into more blockchain for bio now. Um, I've also been doing some work with machine learning for 3D that's kind of been on the back burner for some time. And that has to do with this big data as well. Uh, and there's a few other projects that I can do from behind the computer. But as an artist, I really feel like I'm most talented using my hands and making work in 3D. So it is a balance between um, doing the research aspect and learning about these new technologies and how they can impact people. And then how do I bring that into the real life format? So that we can tangibly understand it. Yeah. So you're you you come across as someone who's very comfortable in multiple technologies, which is absolutely amazing. And let's say traditionally artists are are not that in in that way. Where so where does that come from, and and how did you get to a place where you're comfortable working in so many different technological mediums that um, could be intimidating to a lot of people. I have to say the technology is intimidating to me too, if I think too much. <laughs> um, I look at technologies as a tool. Uh, so just like a wheel for throwing ceramics or a loom, these were major technological advancements at the time they were introduced. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they were initially seen as artist tools, I don't think the loom was, it was very practical, right. but these are, these are major artist tools that a lot of artists do feel comfortable using. So I do look at technology that way. The reason I use, look at exponential technologies and I'm concerned with exponential technologies is for a few reasons. First of all, I think a lot of people and what I witness is a lot of the people that got into these technologies and initially created these technologies have a shared mindset that they're creating the technology to enhance humanity, to do something good with it. But these technologies also have a bigger potential than ever before to do harm to the human race. Like when you look at genetic modification, genetic modification is something that we can't undo. So when a modification is made, that is now passed down through every generation. So we have to be really careful when we're using this technology. So I'm really comfortable with the concepts of these technologies. And I really embrace this idea of learning something new like being at the forefront of this field where there's not that many people in it. It's just like the wild west and there's all this to learn. That's a really exciting place for me that really energizes me. So those are really attractive projects to me. What makes me comfortable with using the tools is that I love seeking out experts in the field. And I feel comfortable working with experts. When you can make a strong partnership or collaboration, that gives me the confidence to say, I know what I do best is to make the artwork and come out with these artistic concepts and creative ideas. And I know what the expert does the best. Like I'm not good at machine learning, but to sit down with um, an expert in machine learning and be able to talk through all these concepts and understand like, how does machine vision work? And wow, that seems really redundant. And oh, wow, I actually know how to do that from using analog video art. Mm -hmm. So this is where the place gets really exciting for me and the walls of intimidation are lowered because then it's more of an educational process of what can I learn here? What can I discover? And I generate artwork from that. So most of the time when I go into a project thinking I'm going to make something, it comes out being something totally different. Still with maybe some of the same tools or technologies, but sometimes completely, totally different because of what I learned in that process. Yeah. 
And also I should mention too, the, the different technologies as tools make different artifacts. They make different aesthetics of the artwork as well. And that's a big learning process as well for the artists that I think a lot of people that are not in the field don't have so much conscious awareness of. During your career, what was the moment like where you realized you were a professional artist? Well, I view myself, this is just my own standard of being a professional artist as being a full-time artist, that that's all you do and you make your income off of that. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of professional artists that show at museums are professional artists and still teachers or they have other careers as well. So that is the qualifier for me. But I ask myself a question about this a lot. Like, I'm always asking my colleagues, how do you know when you made it? <laughs> and there's these external indicators and, and internal indicators. And this is where it's a very interesting practice, I think, of setting goals and where it's important for the business that you have a rational and detached perspective. So some external indicators of I've made it were like feelings like when I showed at the Center Pompidou and here's mm -hmm. you know, a giant billboard of my work at the Center Pompidou and my image is the headliner for the show, like, or driving around the streets of Tokyo and seeing my artwork as banners there. Like those are some external indicators or you know, getting nominated for the, um, or getting selected as like BBC 100 Women Mm -hmm. or just even getting the opportunity and invitations to show at some of these museums. Of course, there's financial goalposts as well, which is really important for the business sustainability. But as an artist, my biggest indicator for success is a moving goalpost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like my, my biggest value is how my artwork can positively impact humanity. Mm -hmm. And this is so big and important for me. It way outweighs all the business stuff and any financial goal that I can make. Again, I can't stress how important that is for the sustainability of the business, the well-being of the artist and their family, et cetera. That is important. But for me, that is not the most important measure. And maybe that's what makes artists versus business people unique or this artist versus a business person unique. And so that is, um, that, that's a harder measure because that's an internal measure and I never feel like I've made it. I never feel like I'm good enough, even if I have like say a show at the MoMA or something. And so for myself, this is where I'm working on how to celebrate my accomplishments. And so one big way and helpful way to do that is by setting goals, by setting business goals of what you want to achieve. And it might not be so specific as I wanna show at the moment, have a retrospective by the time I'm 50, even though I have those goals, it might be more general. Like I wanna have a retrospective at a major internationally recognized museum by the time I'm 50, um, or I wanna get gallery representation within the next year. Those kinds of goals are much more measurable. So to establish some kinds of smart goals is a better indicator for your success than the external measures or internal measures. Cause we can look at a lot of different things um, for both of those. Like how many academic papers are written on your work? How many times you're invited to speak? But if that's not part of your goals, it's hard to know if that is an indicator of success or not. How often do you review your goals and update them? Uh, every week, <laughs> sometimes every day. So it's, it's like a big picture thing. You know, I have like yeah. the, five-year goals, the 10-year goals. Um, and I'm actually not that big of a goal setter, but I've learned this as a healthy practice to help me achieve the things I want to achieve and stay focused, stay like laser focused on what are going to be what I call champagne moments. 
So what are going to be the things every week? I try to pick like one or two things a week that if, if this thing is accomplished, I'm going to feel like I want to have a toast to champagne or something that makes me feel good in that way. And when I set those goals, everything kind of falls into place. So, and those goals aren't like, I'll oh, clean my studio. <laughs> those, are, those are some bigger accomplishments. Yeah. What happens if you don't hit a goal? What do you do at that moment? Well, I think that happens all the time. And that's because I set unrealistic goals for myself. Mm -hmm. But that's what makes me keep pushing forward. So at that point, it's time to revise the goal and say like, well, what is it that make that I didn't reach it? Why didn't I reach it? And what do I need to do to revise it or take a smaller step? And usually that's the key is taking a smaller step towards that bigger goal. But a lot of people, if they don't reach a goal, um, they just step away. Yeah. And that's the part where you have to keep working and keep moving forward and not let that fear get in the way. Yeah, there is, there's a drive in you that you have mentioned multiple times, not in the used, you didn't use the word drive, but that's, it's, there's that element across everything that you've done since you first started in, in college, in a sense, where does that come from? And how do you keep that from, how do you keep it as a healthy balance? You talked a little bit about workaholism, but how do you keep that internal drive in you to achieve big, grandiose goals from overtaking the real the realistic view of, of your life right now well that's a constant practice <laughs> <laughs> honestly it's a constant practice of like learning about boundaries like I didn't know the term boundaries till I was 30. my family is Italian American New Yorker is in everybody's <laughs> business all the time like in, in a good way too though like helping each other out but like I just didn't know that concept at all yeah. and so like to understand like your energy managing your energy sharing your energy what you're going to put that towards um, this is a really important part of it. And, and for me, if I make sure that I have time for me to rest and recharge, mm -hmm. I have just like an endless supply of this drive because that is my internal motivator of what makes me me and what makes me want to keep making artwork. And I feel that drive comes from just this deep desire to share these experiences of the human condition to say, in some way, I understand what you're going through. I understand that life has a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And, um, and that's about the basic gist of it. But then there's these other layers too of like, hey, maybe there's something we can do to make it better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not. But let's at least talk about how we could potentially make things better. Yeah. So Amy, again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to see your work, follow you online, or potentially buy your work, where can they go to do all of this? You can contact me through my website, amycarl.com, A-M-Y-K-A-R-L-E. I'm on Instagram at artist Amy Carl. Uh, I'm on Facebook fan page. I have a Twitter account. I have LinkedIn. So, and actually helping grow my Twitter because I, I don't use Twitter that much. Instagram has been my social media platform, but I'm working on that engagement. So if you're listening, join me there and help me with the conversation. Wonderful. And I will put all those links in the show notes so they can click right through and, and tweet at you. 
So uh, okay. <laughs> again, thank you so much, Amy. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Blackbones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.